I replied to all my messages and all my comments on Instagram. The algorithm loved me. So it was really easy for me to grow on that platform at the time when... Please welcome Lorna Lux. Lorna Lux. Lorna Lux. Who has over 150,000 online followers. Whose classic style is going down a storm on Instagram. If I'd have been flying now, I think about the opportunities. Like, I could have had a great TikTok account. Like, the content-rich environment that I was in as a cabin crew. Because obviously people get on an aircraft and they turn into lunatics. Well, I was at about... 20 to 30,000 followers and at the time I remember a company called Triangle Bikinis that offered me a free Triangle Bikini. I thought this is brilliant, getting free stuff. The strategy with my management team was always let's try and get the same gigs again and again and again. So let's pick one brand that you just love. Welcome to the Redefined podcast brought to you by The One Club, the world's first invite-only digital private members club. The ambition of this podcast is to explore the untold stories of entrepreneurs, athletes, influencers, and more. I actually know Lorna. We know each other. We are friends, yes. Um, and when we were discussing people to, to talk at these events, the Redefined series, Lorna was actually at the top of my list because um, personally, I'm just fascinated by her, her journey and her story. And I know you guys will be too. So, um, Lorna, hello. Hello. <laughs> no, yeah. Hello. Uh, yeah, I hope, I think we'll have a good giggle, won't we? Yeah. We've yeah. known each other quite a while now, so I think this will be a lot more personal, dare I say it. I said to him at the beginning that you can ask me anything. Yeah. So use and abuse that power. Okay. <laughs> so, what's your favourite colour? <laughs> Concrete. <laughs> <laughs> Lorna's just bought a very nice house, uh, and it's called Ghost House, isn't it? And it's uh, yeah. all concrete, so yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's got, definitely got the wow factor. But we'll hear about that a bit later. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so, so Lorna, um, tell me, where did it all start? Where did you grow up? What were you into? What kind of, what kind of girl was Lorna? Okay, starting easy then. Yeah. Uh, so I'm from Manchester. I feel like I've held on to my accent, because mo- I moved down south when I was 20. So I've lived, I'm 40, nearly 41 now, so I've been down south 20 years. But I'm from Manchester. I grew up in quite a modest, kind of humble uh, council house in Sale, if anyone knows that area. And, yeah, big up Sale. And then, actually, I didn't really know um, much about, like, digital, social for until I was about 30. So my career started in my 30s. Prior to that, I was just that normal girl, you know, worked hard at school, went to uni, did a degree that I never used, um, classical piano, if anyone needs me for an event available. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I kind of like left uni, didn't want to go back home because I went to uni in Newcastle, really like living not at my mum and my mum's and granddad's. So I got a job as cabin crew for Virgin and then I was an air hostess for 10 years. I think when you join um, as an air hostess in that part of your life, that kind of teenage to early 20s, you say, I'm going to do it for a year, then I'm going to get a proper job. But the problem was I moved to Brighton. I was earning terrible money, but I was traveling all over the world. And it was such an experience for me, especially for someone that hadn't really traveled, you know, as a kid. So I stayed there for probably a little bit too long. Um, But then I met my husband when I was 26 and we stayed in Brighton. And then the story gets a bit dark because I got terribly ill with anorexia and bulimia to the point where I was so poorly that Virgin were like, look, you can stay at Virgin, but you've got to stay on the ground. And I didn't want to be ground staff because in my head, being an air hostess was like the glam factor of, you know, strutting through the airport with my wheelie. And so I, I was like, I can't do this. It's like a downgrade for me. So fortunately, John said, do you know what? Just scrap your job have a year out to figure out what we're going to do. Let's get you well. Went to the Priory. They weren't really my bag. (laughs) He's laughing now. Um, (laughs) And then I said, oh, look, I'm going to... I can't believe I'm being this honest, but I just said to John, look, I don't want to go to the Priory. I don't want you to make me go there. So if you make me go there, we're going to get divorced and I'm leaving you. So he said, "Okay, that's fine. You're not going to go. And so we kind of battled it together, didn't we? And I would say I probably didn't get over my eating disorder till my late 30s. So my early journey on Instagram, which is, as you would know me now, was me on that, you know, secret battle, if you like. And that's why I I joined Instagram, because every day before I went to work, I got another job. 
I would take a picture of my outfit of the day and I would check myself to make sure I'd not lost weight. So that was kind of my daily routine. Yeah. And because I wasn't eating or really doing anything other than hanging out with John, I replied to all my messages and all my comments on Instagram. Mm. So my out the algorithm loved me because they were like, she's great. She's like really engaged. You know, she's replying to all her messages. She's replying to all her comments. So it was really <coughs> easy for me to grow on that platform at the time when the, you know, Instagram became what it is now, which is kind of probably what TikTok is doing at the minute. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm speculating. Yeah. But yeah, so that's me to where I am now. Um, does that answer the question okay? Yeah, we can all go home. <laughs> so thanks so much for... Uh, <laughs> um, I, I want to kind of rewind to so that transition from air hostess, where you have to be a certain type of person anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Confident, you know, you get to travel, meet lots of different people. At what point did you see digital as being the way forward? Never when I was flying. If I'd have been flying now, I think about the opportunities, like I could have had a great TikTok account, like the content rich environment that I was in as a cabin crew, because obviously people get on an aircraft and they turn into <laughs> lunatics. Like genuinely people go weird on a plane. So there's all that rich texture of storytelling that obviously I, I didn't have until I left flying. So actually I joined Instagram um, shortly after I'd kind of got through that, the brutal stage of my eating disorder where we'd kind of, dare I say it, got the back of it, where my weight had gained a bit and I was a bit more fluid in my thinking. And I went and got a job, I went for a job at Rocket St. George, which is an interiors company because I was dead obsessed with everything they were doing. They were just like, the, to me, they were the pinnacle of coolness at the time. And then I turned up and it, I mean, they're going to listen to this, I'm sure they will, but the founders, they, they were based on an industrial estate in just outside of Brighton and it was not what I was expecting. I was like, this is like the smoke and mirrors of digital online companies. Anyway, went for this job. They were like, right, you're not, you know, you're absolutely not what we're looking for. You've got no skills whatsoever. You can serve, you know, chicken and beef and that's about it. And, um, or play the piano at the same time, probably. <laughs> so cut a long story short, they rang me like a day later and they were like, do you know what? We have not got a job for you, but we've got someone who's going on their kind of two week holiday. Would you cover for them? And I remember my first day going into this warehouse and the phone rang and I went straight into my virgin, you know, hello, like kind of like chat. And then dealt with this poor woman whose bare table hadn't turned up. And then put the phone down and they were like, right, you can, you can stay. And then I, I just stayed there for like maybe a year. And I was just fascinated by every element of that business. Not just the fact that these two women had, were car booters and had decided to set up a, a, you know, a job mm -hmm. from, you know, a business yeah. from scratch. But also the smoke and mirrors of the fact that they shot all of their pieces for the website in this what looked like a car park it was just a you know a concrete wall they'd stage it and they'd take these most beautiful photographs so I thought I'm going to start an Instagram account because I can take cute little pictures of my outfits keep myself in check with my weight mm -hmm. and also I do you remember John I used to post pictures of like the kitchen cabinet or flat lays of like very artistic things I that is where the hunger came for me of mm -hmm. create being an artist if you like mm -hmm. on on a digital space yeah so it's almost a, it was a personal diary is, is what Instagram yeah. originally was actually used for social media. It's to, you know, make a diary of, of your of, of what goes on in your day. Um, so when did you start seeing or when did the offers come in in terms of business? When did you start seeing it as, hang on, this is where I can actually make some money or I have some influence on on people? I think I think I joined in 2014. And I think I got to about, well, I was at about 20 to 30,000 followers. And at the time I thought, oh, people were, I was getting offered things like, I remember a company called Triangle Bikinis that offered me a free Triangle Bikini. I thought, this is brilliant, getting free stuff. I just have to take a picture of it. And then I got offered a Daniel Wellington watch. I just remember those marks of, and then I started to be more considered about what freebies I would take, never thinking that I would ever be paid for it in any capacity. But because I replied to all my messages and all my comments, I quickly built a community of people and we all nattered. So we did talk and we'd meet up, you know, fashion weeks and stuff. We'd all be the same girls, would all be there. And so we would talk and, of course, there'd always be one, oh, I've been paid to talk about this. And when, when, when was this? So this would have been 2015 to 16 where my Instagram slowly grew 
Instagram at the time was massively obsessed with community and the idea of community being the most important thing in the app. So what they would do is they would put people on their suggested users list. And that was 200 people that Instagram followed, usually for about one, two weeks. Mm -hmm. And if you ever joined Instagram, you had to follow five of these accounts. So my account went from 30 to 100K in a week. But of course, I'd gone from having this community of girls that I chatted to every day about every sodding thing to a load of random people that I never even knew who they were. Mm -hmm. So it was a real humbling experience for me because then I thought, oh my God, now I look like a bit of a, a fraud, if you like, because my engagement is roughly the same. Mm. But now I've got this strange number versus the community I'd built. That happened to me twice, didn't it? I got put on that list twice. So I think I grew to about 200K. Mm -hmm. Still never done a collaboration at this point. Just had a couple of freebies. And then I think the first collaboration I got was for a winter coat, but I had to give it back. And they offered me 300 quid to post a picture of it. John remembers this vividly because we had to shoot it in the snow. And... That was like my opening gambit, really. And actually, I never really commercialized my page for you know another year or so after that. Mm. It really wasn't a business for me. This was just like, a passion project. A passion, yeah, it was. It was like, yeah. these are my mates now. Yeah. Because all my real life mates drifted away when I wasn't eating. Because obviously, you don't go out in your 20s and your early 30s. Like, you don't see anyone. Mm. So that was really why Instagram kind of was my crutch in that way. Yeah. And uh, Lorna, I would say... The best thing about you and, and your account and, and your influence is that you are yourself. You, you can tell that it's, it's you that believes in whatever you're talking about, whatever you're showing, whatever you're, um, you know, part, whoever you're partnering with, you really believe in that. So how important is it now, obviously looking back at when you had 200,000, keeping hold of that brand as, as, of Lorna Lux? Um, and also, when did you see yourself as a brand? So I think I always saw myself as a brand because I think even that Lorna Lux, I liked that. I thought, this is catchy. Mm. Lux was my number plate. So when I went to start my Instagram account, Lorna had gone. Someone else has got Lorna. So I thought, what can I call myself? And I didn't want to be Lorna, you know, 1792 or whatever. So I went for Lorna Lux. So that was the branding. But the branding I kind of used. I thought, you know what, this is actually quite a good little... You know, it's got a gimmick to it. And certainly, as I grew my Instagram, people expected me to be very luxurious. So it allowed me to be quite a normal, you know, working class girl sharing very normal things. But it felt more aspirational because I was aspirational. So the whole thing really summed up what I was about, mm -hmm. which was just Lorna being Lorna, but really liking luxury things. And certainly keeping a community as trustworthy as what we what I've done I say we because it's not just me now obviously my husband takes my photos I've got management you know there's people that I work with you know all the time so it feels like a team it's you know it is it is a team but I definitely think that holding on to that early days Lorna what would Lorna want to hear what would I want to hear me talk about mm. has probably buffered all of that because there's so much crazy stuff that you can promote on the internet like if you really took every gig yeah. You know, I'd probably be set up for life and never have to work again. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't make sense. So I think the importance of what I do and what every influencer, any influencers in this room, is just holding on to that thought of who, I'm, who are you? Would you buy this in real life? Would you live this life in real life kind of thing? So that's where I've always held on to. But obviously, I'm not a professional, so I didn't have a marketing background. I don't have any of those key skills that I, I probably should have studied. Mm. Everything is just a hunch, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And also just seeing what other people are doing as well, right? Taking inspiration course, yeah. from them. Um, and then I guess you, you moved on to fashion as a serious project yeah. for you. Okay, so what were the first steps... Who approached who? Um, and uh, how did that go? Uh, okay, so my Instagram did turn into a fashion account. It really was a fashion. I used to post my outfits of the day. And also because I liked, I think I started to post pictures without my head in it. 
So there was an anonymity to that. Mm -hmm. That's how I grew very quickly because for some reason, people at the time really enjoyed imagining themselves wearing the outfits. It removed that, you know, personality to it. It's a little bit like when you see a house tour, you know, some people prefer the house tour where the person isn't taking them around. Do you get me? Mm -hmm. So my account had grown and it was at a really healthy stage. I think I'd got to about a million followers. And uh, I was then approached by a fashion brand who said, look, we want you to come in and create a, a line with us. And it wasn't an edit. It was a true collaboration mm -hmm. in that sense. So I was really excited about that. And then we did the collaboration and it sold really well. I think you came to my launch, didn't you? Um, so we'd, I don't know, we launched at like 6 p.m. and then it was like 9 p.m. I was very drunk on Rosé, but it sold out. I was really happy about that. <laughs> and then that collaboration just evolved and it became a real kind of art, if you like, because we focused so much on bringing what was a very, you know, dare I say it, a fast fashion brand, bringing them runway-inspired collections. I was mad, mad obsessed with mood boarding. My team were the team. We were brilliant together. And, you know, I'm still really good mates with all of them. And I did that for four years. Uh, left in September. So, and I left deliberately because I'm planning to start my own fashion brand. And I'm working, I've been working on that since January. Mm. But certainly that was a learning curve because creating fashion, regardless of the price point, knowing your consumer before they know is really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely been, you know, parts of that journey where I've thought, what the hell am I doing here? This is terrible. We've gone wrong. We should, we've made the wrong call. But I did make a lot of also smart judgments and certainly a lot of those collections that we created together. In the style, by the way, was the brand. A lot of those collections, are, you know, they're still pumping those collections out, maybe with other influencers now, but that I still see them today on the website and that's a real it gives me a lot of joy because it means we did something right yeah and that's from you being known through instagram right so all instagram no other platform yeah and i think that what's so impressive is that you were their best-selling uh face for them right for, for in the style um and you weren't from tv you weren't from a soap no you weren't in you know films and you did that because of your influence online and of your brand, right? So you were a trusted brand. Where do you see, in terms of fashion, um, obviously you mentioned fast fashion, uh, how important is it, sorry, for you to really consider the, you know, the factories that you work with, mm. um, the companies that you work with, uh, how important is that to you? Well, you can't get away from it because certainly the great thing about working with a brand like In The Style was that once they listed as a public company, everything was audited to within an inch of its life. Mm. So none of the factories we worked with were some random factory with no credentials. Everything was monitored and checked. Yeah. I think that going into this industry and doing it my own, you know, with my own money on my own back, which is what I'm doing at the minute, big learning curve is how do you as an independent person audit every part of that? trail of the factory the person that makes every element of your product it is doable it just costs money mm. i think that the reason that fast fashion has been so successful is that it's really inclusive so you know it's really expensive if near impossible to buy beautiful clothes plus a size size 14 16 i'm a size you know between 10 and 14 i shuffle depends what holiday we've been on and it's so frustrating to me that there's not that kind of inclusivity in the luxury sector of mm. everything I do, I have to think, oh, hang on, they only got up to a size 16, like what is going on? Yeah. So I think fast fashion really like captured that market. And yeah. when I joined in the style, that was the first thing I said to Adam. I was like, listen, we need bigger sizes. We need, you know, we can't, like, we need smaller sizes as well. We can't just do eight to 14. We need more petite and tall. We need all these things. And they really, well, specifically him actually, he really indulged that, kind of thought process and was like yeah you're right I get it let's make this happen and there was a customer there to buy it so it was a really brilliant collaboration in that mm. sense mm. will we be able to match that as an independent label I don't know for me it's most important that we offer inclusive sizing mm. but it's also important that we use more sustainable fabrics and we know where we're, our clothes are made mm. and we know the every element of the production of that fabric and the outfit is in a, it's been done in a place that makes sense to the customer because yeah. 
come on, I'm online. Someone's going to DM me and ask me a question. I've got to know the answer to it. So that's where we're at at the minute. And that's certainly, it's going to be a tough mm. gig, I think. Yeah. We'll see, see what happens. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So why is that, I mean, obviously it's, it's, the answer may be obvious, but why is it important that uh, you included this inclusivity, that uh, you included all shapes and sizes? Was it... Um, because of the people you're talking to online, you're following? Like why, why was it important to you? Yeah, it was because it was important to me anyway, because I'd, you know, I've had an eating disorder, so I know what it's like to not be able to find clothes because I was too skinny. And I also know what it's like to not be able to find clothes because maybe I've put a bit of timber on on my holiday and mm. I still want to feel really glam. Yeah. But also my community is that it covers a wide, diverse section of society. And I just it was frustrating to me <coughs> that... Clothes were so specific to a certain body type. Certainly the trends have changed. I very much embraced the boxy blazer, I'm not going to lie. That hides a multitude of sins. But I also think that even as a curvier woman, you want to feel luxurious and glam and represented. And that wasn't really happening about four years ago. And dare I say it, I feel as if specifically Instagram, the algorithm really does prefer, you know, very young blonde, beautiful, young women that are, you know, Western. And that is just the way it is. So it's very hard to see representation on an app like that. And that's why it's quite important for anyone that's on there to kind of help and support everyone as opposed to just one type of person. Yeah. And that's been successful for you. It's been successful. And also it just makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, our friendship circle, like we have friends of all different ages and sizes and needs and some of them are mums and some of them are body conscious and some of them you know are like supermodels and I just thought why can't we just have a clothing collection that suits everyone so that I can ask all my mates to wear it yeah so maybe it's a selfish reason (laughs) (laughs) and a bit of a hard question but how do you keep hold of the Lorna brand Lorna Luxe brand that is essentially very approachable and relatable, relatable, um, but obviously have this success and they them see you have this success. Yeah. Is that quite scary for you? How do you uh, hold on to, you know, the true brand that, that you are? That's a tough question. I don't know, actually, because I think it's really hard. Well, it's not hard, in fact. It's very easy to be normal and not be an arsehole. But every now and then you can say something or do something and people will take it the wrong way for whatever reason. And if multiple people take it the wrong way, then you start to doubt yourself. You're like, God, maybe I didn't mean it like that. You can be that person. So it's very hard to please everyone. I think, you know, the kind of person that probably is in my community of people that sees me every day, chats to me, nattis to me, we, you know, we talk a lot. They probably know I'm, you know, I'm a decent person. Like I'm not out to make anyone feel crap about themselves mm. but certainly you know if they join me on the day that we moved house or whatever or you know maybe john's got a new car or you know not that you had a new car for five years but anyway but do you know what i mean if you if those flashy days mm. then obviously you can be perceived to be a real kind of wanker on the internet mm. so even for me I, i've learned a lot of empathy for people i don't t- generally make judgments about other creators online without giving it a good couple of months of observing everything they've done mm-hmm. if at that two month point i think yeah actually you are a wanker then i'll probably unsubscribe and not ever think about it again but yeah. i think that to just judge people or to think about the, the space we're in at the minute as a snapshot is a missed opportunity yeah but I do think about it. Me and John sit in bed most nights talking about it. We worry about it, don't we? And sometimes I check myself. I'll say to him, do you think I should post this? And he'll be like, no, you're like an idiot. <laughs> probably a couple of glasses of wine. But most of the stuff I do day to day, we're just normal folk getting on with our lives. You know, yeah. we're going through difficult times, going through good times. It's just the storytelling, isn't it? How mm. to storytell, remain you know, approachable and normal. I mean, I'm sure someone will write a book on this at some point, how to do that, that balance, but I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Let me know. Well done. Too. And um, obviously, in your line of work, it's all about your life, right? Your personal life, professional uh, diary of your life, right? 
lots of people in the audience here will, will, will work and go home and close that book or close that laptop and try to shut off. It, you almost, or influencers, almost have this reputation of never switching off, it always being live. How do you switch off from that? Is it hard or is it uh, easy? I think it can be as hard or as easy as you make it. For me, what makes it easy is to just live a fairly truthful existence. So what I share online is a pretty accurate summation of what I'm doing, give or take. There's been times where, you know, I might have food poisoning or I've been out and got home at 11 a.m. the next morning. Probably not going to put that on Instagram. <laughs> but for the most part, it's that real life that is pretty easy to maintain. So I'm not really going, I'm not having to think I'm on because I'm, I'm always on. But I'm not on in a way that's, a fa- you know, fast pace. But are you able to, to switch off from work? I don't think any self-employed person switches off from work because we're, you know, I've got my mortgage to pay, I've got bills to pay, so I'm always thinking about the next, you know, the bottom line and also the next opportunity. So I don't really switch off, but because I do what I do something quite enjoy. And I've, before I was an, an influencer, I obviously always worked for the people, so I know how hard it, it can be. Yeah. And... Especially a nine, like a nine to five job's grueling. Especially if you're getting up early, and then you, you know it's really hard to. That is a you know anything I'm doing now is like piece of cake. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, I think it's pretty easy. If my if you ask my friends, do I switch off? Yeah, I think I probably do. But you can't be in this job and not be titillated by what you see. So if I'm out and went to Beyonce the other night, obviously I'm going to take a picture and a selfie and send a few videos and mm. you know. Yeah, probably pour a drink down myself. That's like a normal, you know, a normal kind of day. But that's, yeah. I think, if anything, I'm almost seeking more enjoyment from life. Yeah. Because then I can create content around it. Yeah. There's a dichotomy there, isn't there? I don't Definitely. know. Absolutely. And um, you have a, you're, I would say that your uh, social presence, you have an aesthetic. Um, and I think something great about you as an influencer, it's just my opinion, is that you don't sell out. You've touched on this before about, you know, choosing brands to work with. Um, obviously, there's temptation to, to work with everyone because mm. it's money. But uh, how difficult can that be? I mean, is, uh, what's the, has there been a company you've turned down that uh, would shock anyone? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, probably <laughs> turned down a lot. To be honest, the strategy with my management team was always, let's try and get the same gigs again and again and again. So let's pick one brand that you just love. You, you love that moisturizer. You're going to talk about it all, all day, every day. And then we won't deviate from that product. Mm. So I kind of have my, my faves. And actually, a lot of the long hustle is if a brand goes, no, we don't believe in that. We don't think you're any good. Or, you know, we don't believe in influencer marketing. So, for example, in lockdown, I was going on video every day, nattering to people, and people started saying, oh, your hairline's a bit, you know, it's looking a bit bare. You get, you're losing your hair. And I thought, God, they're right. I'm losing my hair. And so I wrote to Philip Kingsley, because that was like the trichologist in London. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do kind of thing. Can I get a consultation and whatnot? Started sharing my journey of my hair loss online. And then they started seeing a a kind of reaction to it. So then I was like, can we have a discount code? And that evolved into this, what's become, you know, I'm, we are an ambassador of the brand and I collaborate with them still to this day and I'm still using all their scalp drops and my hair. I know I've got a headband on, but trust me, my hair looks a lot better than it did. And that's a true collaboration, isn't it? Because that's about me talking about something that I genuinely am passionate about. Mm-hmm. But definitely there's, there's collaborations that we get to do that aren't really on my radar until they come to my front door where I think, oh, I wouldn't really have thought of that, but... Yeah, it looks quite fun. I'll do that. Yeah. And then there's a, a storytelling opportunity for that. I think people would be surprised how much of what I talk about and do online I don't get paid for. Because of the ASA, who absolutely love my email address, they can't wait to email me about anything I do, I pretty much add everything I mention, even if I get paid for it or not. Mm. So a lot of what I do at the minute... I'll put an ad on it, but it's not an ad. I didn't get paid for it. I'm not earning a commission from it. Mm-hmm. It's just covering my ass and making sure we don't get the, you know, the wolves at the door. Yeah. So that that is just, that's life. That's how you keep your credibility, isn't it? By talking about what you love as opposed to just taking the paychecks every day. 
And uh, that's what uh, keeps you believable and your brand alive, right, is, is choosing to, to be selective. Um, people, you know, people in advertising, marketing, it's obviously gone in this direction of influencers, right? They are the, the sellers of the product. Um, how much has it changed, just in, in your opinion or, or your view, how much does it change from when you started to where you are now? Is it uh, overpowering to see all of these influences or is it quite a good thing to see for you? Yeah, I like it. I like that it's female dominated. I like that there's an entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. where you can have someone with quite a small following who has a real trust within their community and certainly launch as I'm launching a brand, they're the people I'm looking to because they're hungry for it. And I think there's a lot more, I tend to trust people that are smaller accounts anyway, because I think, oh, they're definitely like legit. You know, this is a hobby for them. They must be fair, you know, they're being honest. I think when you start to see these bigger accounts, dare I say, even my own, there is an element, it loses that trust element because you just, you know, like reality stars, like, you know, Love Island or whatnot. I've got plenty of mates from Love Island. They're all brilliant people. But even I know that they know that people think, eh, you know, they're just selling it because they got paid for it. There's that, tr how do you build that trust in the industry? Mm -hmm. And I do think that right now, everyone online is an influencer at some, in some degree, regardless of whether they're, you know, earning money from it or not. And there's a real joy to that, to be able to, it's word of mouth, but at reach, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So it's a real joy to share if you've been to a nice restaurant, to be able to take nice pictures of it and share it. And, you know, if Charlie goes to a nice restaurant, which he tends to do quite a lot, um, if he shares it, then I know it's, good, it's a good place to go. So I quite like the micro climate of influencing. I think yeah. that's quite a cool space at the minute. Yeah. And obviously trying to stay ahead of the curve. Uh, where is it going? So um, is it staying on Instagram? I know you just started your TikTok account did, as well. Yeah. So I'm sure that will be huge. But uh, where do you see it going in the next 10 years? Well, the great thing about me is I've got no idea because obviously I, I'm not a professional, so I can just make up things and we'll see what happens. Uh, I definitely think that there'll be another app. So I think we've, I think where Snapchat kind of failed slightly in not competing with the TikTok crowd, that didn't, the point is that we all have an ego and, you know, I trade in attention. That's my job. That's what I do every day. I think where maybe Snap kind of deletes your content there's an ego element to that, isn't there, where it's like, well, if I can't keep it and look back at it in six months' time, mm -hmm. what's the point? I think there's another app that's going to capitalise on that, that kind of removable content where you can post both. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll see. I don't know. I definitely think that social media is, obviously, we know it's aimed at video now. That's more important. For me as a consumer, I really like still imagery because, you know, I'm a Pinterest girl. I like to mood board and... Can't take fit, you know, some girls jigging up and down in four outfits in three seconds. I can't get a, a shot of it. Yeah. So I am that person that wants the. The weirdest thing for me is that I started my TikTok three days ago. I couldn't believe how many people on my Instagram said, I don't have TikTok. I'm too old for that. So you need to post it on here. I'm too old for that. And these people, I mean, these people are in their 30s. Yeah. So there's a real kind of age shift as well, isn't there, with like, what, 20. You know, Gen Z are doing versus what millennials are doing. Do you feel pressure to get the TikTok? Do you know what? I couldn't give a toss. I sound like a get the TikTok. Yeah, but I couldn't. Like... <laughs> and I actually rang my manager yesterday because I said, look, I've joined TikTok. What's the crack? And she said, well, you know, you're not commercially successful there at all. We don't rely on that. Just do what you want. Post what you want. So we'll see what happens. I'm not looking to grow on that platform mm -hmm. because the community isn't there. Most of your content is seen by people that don't follow you, which is bizarre to me. Yeah. So there's no conversation to be had. The joy of Instagram is that people natter back and they're interested in the same thing. Yeah. They're not coming into you. They're not coming to your front door to tell you what you're doing wrong. They're coming to have a chat about what they like. Yeah. I quite like that. Yeah. Speaking of comments and all of that, um, how do you, I guess you have to have a thick skin, right? Because it, yeah. not all com comments are going to be pleasant or nice. As I'm sure we all know, it it's, it's can be quite hostile. Um, so how do you deal with that on a personal level? It's changed over the years because when I first joined social media, I took everything so, per well, not that personally, but I did think, mm, what, you know, 
I wanted to defend myself. Every time someone made a criticism, I felt compelled to defend. And I think quickly I realised I was going to burn out if I tried to defend myself against the entire world. So then I took the, the kind of approach of ignorance. But now I'm at a place where I think, actually, if I've not invited that, that reply, I would probably block it or remove it from my existence, more from like a self-preservation situation. Especially, I like the control that some apps give you. So for specifically Instagram, you can control words that are used. So I don't really like, you know, or a lot of the blocked words on my account are, you know, slurs, racial slurs, anything related to being fat or overweight, because we know I've got that history of eating an eating disorder. So I've got to protect my, you know, you have to have a boundary of, of a degree. And yeah, I think it's just important to protect yourself. And I think that just goes for everybody, not just even someone like me. Every single person who's got an app should have boundaries of what mm. people can and can't, can't say to you. You, don't, <coughs> you shouldn't have to face, you, shouldn't, you should be primed for it, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And it goes, in, it goes in peaks and troughs, but this is a new age for us. This is the Wild West because this didn't exist 15 years ago. We're all still figuring it out. And, you know, as humans, we've been on the earth for, you know, millions of years, but all of a sudden now we're having to deal with these very intrusive comments and thoughts. How do you process them? I, I don't really know how people handle it. I know how I just block it out. Well, people suddenly are now caring about the opinion of somebody that's on the other side of the world. Whereas years ago, we had no idea what they thought about us. So we didn't think about that. So yeah. It's... And I mean, what is it? There's um, an influencer, Carolyn Hirons, and she always said to me, she was like, listen, Lorna, if you wouldn't have them at your funeral, don't listen to a word they've got to say. <laughs> and I just thought that's so true, isn't it? Like, if you wouldn't listen to their advice, why are you listening to their mm-hmm. insult kind of thing? Yeah. But I'll be honest, it's pretty tame for me. I, unless I'm naive and there's like, you know, whole websites dedicated to slagging me off. I'll be honest, my day to day is pretty lovely yeah. and people are pretty decent. Yeah. So it's just, you know, you just manage it as best you can, don't you? Yeah. So I guess uh, my last question before a nice Q&A, um, do you still enjoy it? Because you've been doing it for a long time now. So is this still a passion project for you? Yeah, I love it. I think I like now that as I've become more comfortable in myself, especially physically, I kind of just wake up each day and think, thank God that, you know, everything's going all right and I'm all right. And I really like talking to people. So a lot of people online, the the thing that, if you chat to a lot of influencers, one thing that most people will say is, I love creating content. I love creating things to share. Actually, that's not my driver at all. My favorite thing about social media is the chat. So I try to reply to all my DMs, touch wood. I know there's a few I've missed, but I pretty much, that's, that's me. That's what I enjoy. I like the natter. I like the conversation. I like, I like learning about people. So I like them learning about me and that sharing of ideas. If there was an app where you didn't have to post a thing, but you just DM'd each other and you like add ideas about things, that'd be like my dream app. Well, it's, it's like thinking of, you know, you're messaging a, a company or a business um, and you want some help or you ask a question, to hear it from the horse's mouth, you're not a horse, <laughs> um, is so valuable, right? They, they will remember that. They will be loyal. They're a loyal customer. They're a loyal follower. So I think companies have a lot to learn from you. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe. Uh, let's uh, open it up to some questions. So if anybody has any questions for Lorna, please uh, raise your hand. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll be honest, there's been times when I've done it. So I've used filters for videos and I've done, you know, I've tried to distort my pictures and tried to make myself look thinner or curvier or I've done all, everything you can name, I've done it. And I'm sure someone's documented that I've done it online at some point. 
what I'm at a stage now of is it's quite a good thing to do it and then come out the other end and go, actually, that didn't make me feel very good because they don't really look like that. So there's a joy in reality. The amount of times I come on of a morning and do a get ready with me, I look terrible. I'm not going to lie. But I probably don't look terrible. But that in my head, I think you look dreadful. You've got no makeup on, your skin's pory, you've got rosacea. It's probably quite nice for other people to see someone just coming on and just owning it. So my community is really built on just keeping it real sometimes. Not always. Sometimes I like to look a bit glam. But I think that we're going to go through that shift. We've got to do it. It's painful, isn't it? It's like growing pains. So when people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't use filters, like let them use the filters, let them do all those things because they'll eventually, hopefully, come out the other side and be stronger as a consequence of it. So I'm not anti-filters or anti-editing apps. I'm just someone that is probably a bit older and a bit wiser and recognises it hasn't really, you know, empowered me in any way. Does that answer the question? Yeah, Yeah. thanks. Anyone else? Oh. Um, you've done tons of collaborations, which I'm a big fan of. I just wondered which of those collaborations are your favourite. I thought you were going to ask me which is my worst. Oh, I'm going to I mean, what a missed opportunity no. that was. <laughs> I've had lots of lovely collaborations. Probably the ones that are favourite always come under the umbrella of a bit like PK, where it's like, oh, I've actually changed my life in real life. Um, I've done, I'll be honest, I'm going to flip it a bit and say I've done somewhere. It's been quite humbling. I did a collaboration with Mac. Very excited about it. Got to design a kit. It was in a little pouch that looked like a Chanel bag with all like the gizmos inside. Didn't get to like design anything as such. They were all products that they sold anyway, but they let me put my name on the bullet of the lipstick. And um, got quite giddy about this kit anyway, but they wouldn't, they put an embargo on it. So they said, you can talk about it, but you can't talk about it till it's launched. I was from the old school, you know, in the style where you were revving up the, you know, engagement and getting people talking about the collection weeks before it launched. And we launched and the next, the first day, Mac emailed or whatever, Essie Lord or whatever emailed, and I was really thrilled with the collaboration to my manager. And I said to my manager, oh, how many have they sold? In fact, they've sold 15. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that's just, you know, 2,000 more to go then. And it really freaked me out because I thought, oh my God. Like, I was so used to, you know, selling hundreds of clothes or whatever in a day. And um, that was just their, mar- they were really happy with that. They were like, no, this is great. We expect this to be on the, mar- on the shelves for six months. This is great for us. We're really chuffed. So I think that I, what I learned, my takeaway from that was that, although it should have been the most favourite collaboration I've ever done, because as any girl that wears makeup, MAC is like, you know, it's one of them brands, isn't it? It's cool. But maybe it wasn't suitable for my community they were they needed to buy into it and they've probably never seen me really other than the lipstick which I loved they'd never really seen me talk about them products so I, I kind of sit that on the it professionally was, yeah. if I'm out with a guy you know if I'm out with a load of strangers say we go out tonight and we meet some strand and they ask me the same question I did a Mac collaboration it was amazing you know my own you know own name on it but the reality is for me that was a real life this isn't an easy nothing is guaranteed doesn't matter who you are what you're doing there's never a guaranteed sale. sale sales is hard work, uh, but that's for you know, a story for another day. <laughs> well, we can go into it if you want. But, uh, <laughs> uh, anyone else? Yes. Uh, hi, uh, it's uh, really nice to see you. Like you're really natural. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I love such people. Uh, question: Like, did you try any other platform? I know that you said you love Instagram, mm-hmm. but uh, Pinterest or anything. Yeah. Your biggest disappointment. Not so much a disappointment. I, I did have Pinterest and I had quite a big following on there, like mil- a few million on there actually. But then when I started doing my uh, clothing collaborations, all my inspo was there. And then, uh, I can't go into it now, but there was a story where somebody accused me of copying a 50-year-old pair of shorts. And their example of why I'd done it was because I had this picture pinned. It was a picture of Sean Connery. I know. And um, it was fine, like, you know, it got, it got basically got thrown out. But I remember thinking, wow, like, that just shows you that your digital footprint is really quite valuable. It doesn't matter where you are, people can kind of corrupt this narrative to suit their agenda whatnot. So I deleted my Pinterest, and I have a private one now. And I think that any artist out there, 
don't share your mood, your mood boards, don't share your thought processes because it's so easy for people to use it, create the same and then say, oh, you copied them. And it's like, no, we, I was doing this first, but do you get me? Yeah. So as a, I think, and that works with influencers. It works with probably even currently building a website at the minute, <coughs> really protecting everything about that website. Don't we really want anyone to see it or have any knowledge of it until it goes alive? Because... I've not tried NFT. Um, I don't really know my thoughts on NFT. I'm a little bit up and down on it. A little bit like Bitcoin and a lot of those, and crypto and there's so many, yeah, there's so many kind of things out there at the minute that there's not enough spoken about it. So it would be like me trying to learn a completely new uh, language. One, one club of the people to tell you about yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, because it protects that problem. I'm sure everyone's been down that. Anyone doing what I'm doing anyway has been down that road where you, your image has been used without your knowledge or whatnot. So, yeah, it's, it is fascinating, isn't it? Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so, so I have a question uh, regarding maybe more the start of your journey. Um, so I, I think if, if you start a brand or a company today, the world's a bit more global than it maybe was when you started up. But so I'm thinking, you know, so you have a lot of followers, right? Um, but, but compared to the global foundation, it's still, it's still quite small, relatively yeah. small. Uh, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But for instance, I would rather have a thousand uh, followers in London, where I'm based, than a thousand followers spread around the world, right? So have you ever um, put effort into trying to get your base first into a place for, for instance, the UK or Manchester or in London, whatever. So, so have you ever focused on the geographics of it? Or have you just launched it and, and even if it was China or wherever in the world, um, it was fine? Because I think it has different utility. In a way. Yeah, massively. And also as well, most brands are pretty clued up to that now. So most collaborations I would do, the PR or the brand would say, can we see your demographic? How old is your customer? Where do they live? How many percentage of people live in London? How many percentage of people live in America or wherever? So that's definitely, it's the analytics. The problem is that a lot of our analytics are third parties. So if you're a big company like an Estee Lauder or any, you know, any massive company will have access to analytics where they, they know exactly who my audience are. They've vetted me. They know how many fake followers I've got. They'll know every element of my business more than I do. But it's the smaller brands that are vulnerable because maybe they're just going to take a punt. We like her. She seems pretty legit. She's got a few comments. Let's run with it. But actually, maybe I didn't have any customers living in that, that region or my target demographic doesn't pay £300 for a dress. So it's just almost a collaborative experience where I give them my opinion on, can I shift this product? The amount of collaborations I've turned down that have, because they've been too expensive, for example, I've said, look, I can't have this on my rap sheet because I can't sell anything. This can look bad for me. So there's that trust within me and my the partnerships I do. You've just got to hope that, you know, any brand that works with an influencer, that they're honest with you. And they say, you know, I don't have anyone in the Netherlands and you're trying to like launch, you know, a bar in Amsterdam. It's just that thing of that conversation to be had. Some brands will come with the most massive budgets almost kind of like the KPIs are, we just want to get the word out. That, that's the phrase that really will piss me off. Cause it's like, come on, like just, you know, buy a banner and put it in the street. So I think for the way we're going now, the stats are going to be everything. And the apps that provide that information are going to become more valuable. A little bit like you would collect email addresses. But, but so you never, so, so when you were growing up, let's say, mm. Um, you never really put thought in, okay, I want mainly my base in the UK or I want mainly... So when, when I was growing, I didn't really understand what was growing. All right, yeah. So I had two, 300,000 followers and I just thought it was a bit of a, like, a jolly. It was something to do on the side. It wasn't a commercial entity. It was only when I got to like a million where I thought, oh, actually, it's much easier for me to sell, uh, let's be honest, like a, a brand in the UK than it is to sell a triangle bikini in Australia. That's when I started to realise, actually, where are my audience from? Who are they? And the stats tell me who they are. I think 50% of my audience are in the UK. So, but where are the other people and what value add is that? 
I don't really collaborate on international partnerships as a consequence. I collaborate with international brands, but I'm considered a UK-centric influencer for that reason, because I didn't do the groundwork in the early days. Well, well in a way, maybe it's, it was maybe easier back in the day to, to be more famous in yeah. your own environment locally, let's say, yeah. than today. Everything's so international that you know, if you launch anything, you know, it can be... Well, you can have, as I said, a thousand followers, but five can be from China and five yeah. from the United States, and you know. So, so um, yeah, I think. So I'm also trying to launch a business, and that's that's a struggle I have. Mm. I'd rather have a thousand followers in London than a thousand followers spread across the globe, right? So, so and also, what are they? What are you selling? Because you know, you could have a thousand followers that don't really have the budget for the product you're selling. There's there's micro influencers in London. I went to a lunch recently. And these, uh, they were mainly girls, but they were mainly very affluent women that lived in Chelsea, Mayfair, you know, plenty of money, you know, all part of the Range Rovers outside and much smaller followings to me. But that was the perfect demographic for that brand. And that was, and it made sense. It was, it was beautiful to watch. And I thought I can't add any value to this. I'm just going to have, you know, a few glasses of wine and enjoy it. I'll put it on my Instagram. So they'll probably, you know, they'll get that exposure, but I, I will add no value in terms of conversion. I suppose brands are looking for both things, right? Word of mouth and then conversion. The the sweet spot is when you get both. Yeah. So if you have uh, influencers today that are coming up or, or starting, um, are they? do you think that they are focused on location? Do you think that they are now focused on that aspect, obviously, and not, you know, that, that's something for them to, to worry about? I think in the sense of where they create the content. For example, I liked, when I quickly realised what I wanted to do, I wanted to be a fashion girl in London. I stopped taking my pictures outside, you know, Brighton Pavilion. And me and John would get up at six in the morning and would drive to Notting Hill or, you know, we were that person, weren't we, that would, you know, 2017, I was in Notting Hill taking my pictures outside White Houses, I South know. Kensington, <laughs> having fights with people because they, want, they didn't like us leaning against the walls. <laughs> So that's strategy. So that's when I first clicked, oh, I want to attract a certain person that's going to be into my thing. I don't think anyone starting as an influencer now should really go in with that agenda to begin with because your niche is what makes you your brand. Mm. So actually, the, that isn't the niche, is it? Mm. Being in London, that's not a niche. Yeah. So it's almost finding something more specific than that, which means you, you can't really reach a community until you've reached a vision of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds a bit <laughs> spiritual. Yeah, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. You're very spiritual. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Redefined Podcast. We want to bring you the best stories from the top change makers across the globe. To make that possible, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and leave a comment or review. It really is that simple. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you for the next episode.